I didn't think I was going to use this table because I thought I might only have a few minutes, but we were very efficient. So don't worry, I came prepared. So man, it is so, so good to have a day like today. Amen. I told the staff a couple weeks ago we were preparing for this event and just was thinking about the fact that we would actually like to see this on the stage more regularly, like monthly, weekly. Could we all just pray for that, that the work of God would be done in such a regular, consistent manner in people's lives that we are just constantly walking into the waters of baptism with people and walking in a journey of faith with them to see what God wants to do with their lives. That is why we do what we do. We're not just here to have services on Sunday. We're not just here to sing some music and hear some talks. We're, we're here to walk with people in the journey of life change. That's what ministry and church is all about. And I want to just encourage us to just be praying for God to continue to pour out his grace. He's already been doing that, but can we just pray for more? Just for more. Because we live in a county where 42,000 people have no religious affiliation at all. And we just want to make sure we do our part so that everybody in our county has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here and it's what we do. I want to just pray for us and then we're going to jump into this morning's message. So let's pray together. God, we come before you right now. We are so grateful for your presence in this place, for the way that you are working. Even in this room right now, you are working in our lives. God, we have been encouraged. We've been strengthened in our faith. We've celebrated with these who have stepped into the waters of baptism and professed their faith and received the grace and the sacrament of baptism this morning. God, we're grateful. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And God, we're thankful for your word. God, that teaches us, that guides us, that directs us. And I just want to pray for these next few moments as we open your word together, as we dig into the scriptures and hear the teaching for today, God, I pray that you would anoint this moment with your spirit in a powerful way. Open our ears, not to hear my voice, but to hear your voice in these moments. Speak to us, God, for we are listening. And God, for what you do in these next few moments, we'll give you all the thanks and all the praise we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We are in the second week of a three-part series on the topic of generosity, and I want to just take a moment and just remind you of why we are talking about generosity, because here at Lakeview Church, we say this a lot. We say we're an everyday church for everyday people, and we're striving to follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference. And the reason that we're taking a few weeks to dig into the topic of generosity is because generosity is the bridge between following Jesus and making the difference that God created you to make. 
You see, God doesn't just want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. That's certainly important, and it's critical, and it matters, and it is the beginning point. Without that, nothing else matters. You need a relationship with Christ, and you need to follow him. You need to align your life with him. But God's ultimate plan for your life is not just that you would be a Christian, not just that you would follow Jesus. God's ultimate plan for your life is that your life would be used by God to make an eternal difference. And I don't mean just going out and doing some good thing for your neighbor, though that's important and you should do that. But, but I mean, God actually wants to use your life to make a difference that will matter for all of eternity. That's God's plan for your life. But here's the thing. You can't go from following Jesus to making an eternal difference without learning generosity. Because you cannot make an eternal difference without learning to live beyond yourself. And that's what generosity is at its core. It's learning to live beyond yourself. And if you are truly following Jesus, that is the journey he will take you on. Because Jesus lived beyond himself. Think about it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't doing it for his own name. He was doing it because he loved us. And so when we follow Jesus, when we walk with Jesus, we grow in generosity because Jesus at his core was a generous person. We serve a generous God. And so we take time in a church service like this over a few weeks each year just to talk about the topic of generosity because this is what God wants for us. Now, some of you, when you hear the term generosity or you, you think we're going to just talk about giving, and we will, we're going to talk about it. It's part of the Christian journey. But you automatically think that that's about what we want from you. And I want to just dispel that myth right now. This is not about what we want from you. It is about what we want for you. More than anything else, I want you to follow Jesus, and I want you to make the eternal difference that God created you to make. And the only way to get there is for you to learn to live beyond yourself. This is not about what we want from you. This is about what we want for you. We want God's best for your life. And we believe that that happens when we live beyond ourselves so that together we can make an eternal difference. So last week, we kicked off this series and, and I talked to you about five kind of foundational principles that sit at the, the base of this generous life that we're trying to live. And I wanna just take a moment to review those principles before we dig into our topic for today. And I'm gonna go through these quickly just as a way of reviewing. And if you weren't here last week, you can go back and you can watch that message or listen to it online and I would encourage you to do that. Last week, we talked about the kind of foundational principle of a generous life is the manager principle because your stuff, and when I use the term stuff, it's a technical theological term, which means everything that you have, your time, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your money, your relationships, everything that is in your possession, your stuff isn't yours. It belongs to God. 
Psalmist said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's nothing that is in your possession, not your time, not your talents, not your energy, not your money, your car, your home, your clothes. Nothing that you possess belongs to you, belongs to God. It it came from him. He created it. He owns it. And he has entrusted it to your care. This means you are not an owner. You are a steward. You are a manager. And that makes a difference. Because owners take things that are in their care and they hoard them, they hold on to them, they protect them. But when you are a manager, you realize that what is in your hands, though it's in your hands, isn't yours. It belongs to someone else. And so you hold it like this. Because if the master wants what's his, you have to give it back to him. And if he wants you to take what's in your hand and give it to someone else, you have to do that because it's not yours anyway. It belongs to him. You're not an owner. You're a manager. And this leads us to the second principle that we talked about, the ROI principle, the return on investment. You see, God is invested in your life. He's given you time and he's given you talents and he's given you treasure. And it's not yours. It's his. And while he's away from this earth, when he comes back, he's going to ask you to give an account of what did you do with what I gave to you. It's, it's my stuff, and I gave it to you, God's going to say. Now, what did you do with it? He's expecting a return on the investment that he gave to you. He wants you to use what he's placed in your possession for his purposes so that you can make an eternal difference and the kingdom of God can advance and God's plan to redeem the world can be fulfilled and accomplished. He's going to ask you, what did you do? What did you do with the time that I gave you? Pastor Jared messed me up in staff meeting a few weeks ago because he was sharing about a book he read and or is reading and it's a book called 4,000 Weeks and As I've talked with him, he's messed some of you up too because he's talked to you about this book in coffee meetings that he's had with you. But the average lifespan of a person means that if you live the average lifespan right now, you're going to have 4,000 weeks. And you've already spent how many ever weeks you've spent. I have 1,606 weeks left. Now, of course, I don't have another moment guaranteed, and neither do you. Right? Our lives could be taken from us in a moment. Jesus could return in a moment. And we don't have any more time after that. But if the Lord tarries and we live the average lifespan, we've got how many ever weeks we have left. And we don't know what that number is, but we know this, that, that we have one less day, one less week than we had this past week. Because we spent it. We have a certain amount of time and God is wanting us to use our time and our talents and our treasure for his purposes and his glory and his honor. And we've got to give an account. One day we're going to stand in front of him. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And we have to be ready to answer that question. It's the ROI principle. So how do we answer that question correctly? That leads us to the third principle, the river principle. Your life is not meant to be a container. It's meant to be a channel. See, if you want to be able to stand before God on the day when he calls you to account and he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? What you don't want to say is, I collected everything that you gave me and I held on to it. I protected it. I kept it safe. I hid it away. I built bigger barns 
to store all that you gave me. Look at what you gave me. I have it all. You don't want to stand before the master and say, I just kept it. You don't want to say, I just enjoyed it. Thanks, God, for all the blessings you gave to me. That's not what God wants to hear on that day. The steward in Matthew chapter 25 buried the talent that the master gave him, and the master called him wicked and lazy. If you want to answer the master on that day correctly, you say, I just took whatever you gave me, and I let it flow through me like a channel to bless people around me my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, my classmates, my church, my community, our nation, the world. God, everything that you gave me wasn't a blessing for me to somehow try to contain. It was a blessing that you were giving to me so that I could be a blessing to others. You're not meant to be a container. You're meant to be a channel. And you got to let God's blessings flow through us. That's what generosity is. And in order to get there, you need the fourth principle, which is this, what I call the compass principle. You see, when God becomes the true north of your life, when you make God number one, when you put him in the correct place as owner, when he is first and foremost in your life and he is giving guidance and direction to everything you are and everything you do, you become others-centered. Just naturally happens because God is focused on the world. People say all the time, you know, if, if, if I'd been the only sinner, God would have sent Jesus. And maybe that's true. We don't know because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God so loved the world. He wasn't just thinking about you. He was thinking about everyone. God is other-centered, and he wants us to follow his lead and love the world like he did. And when you get there, then you realize the last principle, which is the generosity principle, where you recognize that you can't outgive God. When God gives you a blessing and you hold it like this and God says, hey, can you give that to this person and bless them? Can you, can you let that go out of your possession to help someone else to meet that need, to care for that issue, to solve that problem? When you do that, God is right there to give you everything that you need. Second Corinthians 9 says it, so that we would have everything that we need so that we can be generous on every occasion. You can't outgive God but I dare you to try. I dare you to try. Every time you follow God's lead and you give generously the way he is asking you to give, he always meets you right in that moment. And I know what some of you might be thinking. You might be thinking that I'm telling you, give so you can get rich. And if that's what you think I'm saying, you're not listening. Because I don't think generosity is ever about us. We don't use generosity as a lever to pull to get more stuff from God. No, we just simply understand that we are channels of God's blessing. And when God gives to us, he can do whatever he wants to do through our lives. And we're going to stay in that posture. And it's never going to be about getting more because we're not containers anyway. We're channels. 
So here's the question I've been asking getting ready for this message today. How do you take these principles, which are all biblical principles that sit at the base of generosity in our lives, how do we turn these principles into practice? And this message really just has one point, one main idea that I want to make sure you understand. And so what I'd like you to do is turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Matthew chapter 6, just three verses that I want to read for us. And then I want to give you one main point This is what it says. This is Jesus talking. It's during the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the fact that we can't serve God and money. You gotta choose one. You're gonna love one and hate the other. And which one are you gonna love and which one are you gonna hate? You can't serve God and money. And in the context of that, he talks about not worrying. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or where you're gonna live or what you're gonna wear because your father knows that you need all that stuff and he'll take care of you. Just put the kingdom of God first. And God will take care of everything else. But in the context of that teaching, he kicks it off with this key idea in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Just one main point for today's message, and it's this. If you want to turn the principles we talked about last week into the practice of your life, it boils down to this fact. You must be intentional. You must be intentional. If there's one thing that I have learned in my life, it is that we do not drift towards generosity. We do not accidentally stumble upon becoming more generous people. We have to be intentional about it because the culture around us isn't saying, give more, be generous more. The culture around us is saying, it's all about you, and it's all for you. If you want it, you can have it. And if you don't have enough money to buy it, who cares? Just put it on a credit card. And when that credit card gets full, get another one with a nice balance transfer offer and just move it on. It's not real money anyway, is it? Because our culture says you ought to have what you want. Our culture reinforces consumerism and greed. Our culture puts us at the center and and it says it's all about you, right? This is is what our entire world is focused on. So if you want to move towards generosity, you're not going to get there by accident. You're not just going to stumble on it. You're not going to just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm generous now. Who knew? Oh, you have to actually, like a spiritual discipline, engage in it in an intentional way to move in the direction that God wants you to go. Because when you are seeking to become generous in a greedy culture, you are swimming upstream. 
And that requires effort and intentionality on your part. You gotta have a vision of the kind of person you wanna become, a person who lives out those principles, who's not an owner, but who is a manager. A person who lives with an accountability mindset that says, I'm gonna give an account for what I do with what God's given to me. A person who's never seeking to be a container, but always seeking to be a channel of blessing to others. Person who's others oriented. You gotta have that vision in place of what it looks like for you to be generous. And then you gotta commit to do whatever it takes to get there, to move in that direction. And you gotta have a plan to go from point A to point B to point C. And, and as you're building your plan to become intentional, to move towards intentional generosity, I wanna give you three things to think about. See, that was a trick. I told you there was one point, but then there's three, right? I think you ought to give intentionally. You ought to give intentionally. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is a key teaching. Actually, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are key teachings in Scripture about generosity as it relates to our money and our financial resources. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, this is what it says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. And don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I know that some of you, when you think about money and church, you think all the church wants is my money. And when I go there, they're going to pressure me to give, or they're going to somehow manipulate me or coerce me to give. And I want to just tell you right now, I just want to set the record straight. I will never coerce money out of you. I will never manipulate you to give money. I will never pressure you to give money. And here's why. I don't think it's biblical. I think if you gave under coercion or pressure or manipulation, the gift would be a gift that you gave and the money would still be real money that has real value, but it wouldn't count before God. Because God is not looking for you to give reluctantly or under pressure. That's not what God desires for you. God doesn't want you to give because you've got to give. He wants you to give because you get to give. It's not a have to, it's a want to. That's what God's trying to move us to because that's where generosity sits. And it's pretty clear in this passage, you gotta decide what you're gonna give and then you gotta give it. Not reluctantly, not saying, I'm gonna give this to you, Lord, I don't really want to. No, that's not what God wants. And God doesn't want you to give because you saw some slick video on a screen. You're like, I wanna give to that because I feel emotionally manipulated right now. No, that's not why you give. You give because you believe that God wants you to be generous and you're investing in his kingdom work in this world and you're doing it not because you have to, but because you want to. And you give joyfully, cheerfully, because that's how God wants you to give. And when you give like that, that gift is accepted by the Lord. It's the gift he wants. 
Giving has been a part of God's people down through the ages. Even before the system of the temple was ever established in the Old Testament. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, we find Abraham taking the first tenth of what came into his possession to a priest to give it as an offering to God. He basically was recognizing everything that I just got didn't come from me. I didn't create it. I didn't make it happen. God gave it to me and it all belongs to him. And so Abram said, I got to find a way to give back. And so he takes the first tenth. And down through the ages, we have practiced this as God's people, this idea of what we call the tithe. People say, isn't the tithe an Old Testament idea? Yes, it is. A hundred percent it is. And some people say, so we don't have to tithe anymore. And I'd say, you're exactly right, because God actually wants you to go way beyond 10%. So you can, I'll concede that point. (laughs) You don't have to tithe anymore. You should give more than that. That's God's desire for us, right? And it's not this law that's been placed on us because he doesn't want us to give reluctantly or under pressure, but cheerfully. He wants us to grow in generosity. So how do we do that? Well, if you're starting in your giving journey, I would just encourage you to decide what you're going to give and then give that cheerfully. For some of you, you might want to set that 10% mark as the starting point. But for some of you, you think that is a bridge too far. And I'll just say, then just give 1%, give 2%. Just decide what you're going to give and give it with joy and with cheer in your heart and use it as a way to worship God and just see what God does in your life. Just decide what you're going to give and give that. Some of you say, what in the world is a 10th? Because you weren't paying attention in math class. I get it. I get it. If you got $10, one of them is a tenth. So if you get $10, you can give one. And that principle holds true. And I would just encourage you, decide what you're going to give and start giving. And use that 10% mark at least as a baseline. You might not be able to start there. Start at 1%, start at 2%. And if that just doesn't make sense to you, then just give up your $8 cup of coffee at Starbucks or whatever it costs now. Or your $10 value meal at McDonald's now. $10. Praise God for the McDonald's app. Give up, your, give up something and just say, God, I'm going to set this aside and give intentionally because I think that's what you want. Now, here's the deal. The 100% of money that comes into your care isn't yours. It belongs to God. So when you give to God, you're just giving back to God something he already owns. And by doing that, you're just simply saying, God, I recognize everything that I just earned, you gave that to me, and I'm giving it back to you. Now, you give back 1%, 2%, 10%, you still got something left, right? But that 90%, if you're given the full 10%, that 90% is not yours either. That all belongs to God, and your responsibility is to manage it well. This, by the way, is why you should take care of your stuff so that it will last longer. 
Like take care of the possessions that you have because if you take care of it and it lasts longer, then, then you will get more value out of it over time and that will actually mean you have to spend less money replacing it. And then live within your means. You know what that means? That means don't spend more than you make. This is easy to do in our culture because our culture says, who cares? Pay for it later. Maybe someone else will pay for it later for you. Right? And we just put it on the card and we live outside of our means and we get strapped in debt and then it just becomes a weight around our neck. Listen, live within your means. Just don't spend it if you don't have it. And then as you begin to live according to those principles, you begin to get a little bit of margin in your life. You can start saving now for the future so that your needs in the future can be cared for and you can invest wisely so that your money will actually earn you money. And all of that is not so you can have more and just build bigger barns and, and hold more stuff. The reason that we pursue margin and the reason we save for the future is so that as our margin begins to grow, we now have more to be generous with. Now, some of you will say, I'm going to wait till I get there and then I'll flip the generosity switch. And I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you can't be faithful with little, you will not know how to be faithful with much. So I want to encourage you, begin to give, manage your money wisely, and let God give you some margin over time so that you can be even more generous. And you say, why would we be more generous? Because we live in a county, 42,000 people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have work to do. And there are places in our world where the gospel of Jesus Christ has never even touched the ears of the people who live there. They are completely unreached. They're not just people who have decided not to follow Jesus. They don't even know there is a Jesus. And somebody's got to go. And, and whether we like it or not, it costs money to send people to those places. So why would we want margin so we can be more generous? So the work of the kingdom can be accomplished. Because remember, our goal is to make an eternal difference. So I want to just encourage you, as God's people, you got to be intentional, give intentionally. Secondly, I want to encourage you to serve intentionally. Serve intentionally. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here's the reality. God has poured out grace in your life. He's given you talents and abilities and gifts, and, and he wants you to use them to serve other people. And, and I love the fact that Peter identifies the fact that when we do that, we are being faithful stewards. The word steward can also be translated manager. The idea is that God's given you his grace in various forms, and he just wants you to use it to serve other people. Now, some of that service will be spontaneous. It will show up in your life. You'll have someone that you just intersect with in, in your daily life who needs help, and you ought to serve them. You are God's 
an ambassador right in that moment to be a servant to that person that intersects your life. And we ought to be people who find needs and meet them. But I want to encourage you to go beyond just waiting for spontaneous moments to show up in your life. I want to encourage you to be intentional with your service to actually plug into a ministry here at Lakeview Church and begin to serve on a regular and consistent basis. This is why we started the Dream Team. Because we just believe if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to serve. You've been given gifts. God's grace poured out in your life in various forms. And you have a responsibility now and you will be held account, accountable for what you do with what God has given to you. So the question is, how are you serving regularly and consistently? And many of you are serving on the dream team and I want to applaud you. You are serving week in, week out, month in, month out. You're making a difference. You're doing the work of God. Some of you aren't. I want to just gently encourage you, if you can just feel that thumb in your back right now, just want to gently nudge you to serve, find a place of service. And some of you will say, I don't have much to offer. Or you'll say, I've already done my time. Or you'll say, they've got enough people and they don't need me. And I want to just tell you, all of those things are blatantly untrue. They're not correct. Discard them. You have not served your time. If you are still breathing, you should still be serving somewhere, somehow, in some way. And even if we were having three people serving in the nursery to every baby we got in there, you could still serve in the nursery. I can guarantee you that is not the case. We need more nursery workers, okay? We got more babies around here than we know what to do with. So we need some help in the nursery and maybe you wanna serve there. Maybe you have gifts of service or helps or maybe you have gifts of administration. Whatever your gift is, find a way to plug in and use it. You say, how would I join the dream team? Well, it's a very simple process. We have an orientation and you can find the next one that's coming up and join that. We're also gonna be putting that online in the not too distant future future so that any person at any time could go online and do the orientation. At the end of the orientation, you fill out a very short interest form that does two things. First of all, it puts you on a mailing list that I use to communicate to our dream team a few times a year just to let you know what's coming next so you can be ready for that. And it connects you with ministry leaders over ministry areas that you are interested in serving in. Those ministry leaders take that information, they reach out to you, they help you find a place where you can serve, and then once you find that ministry placement, they train you. We actually train you. We don't just say, good luck. We actually help you know what to do, and then we release you to serve, and we just think everybody ought to do that. When it happens, there's community you begin to develop connections with people you serve alongside of. The work of the church gets accomplished. People's lives are changed. Some of you serve as parking lot attendants or on our greeter team or you serve as ushers and you think, does that really make an eternal difference? Well, I've been in settings just in the last four weeks where on multiple occasions, I've had people say to me that Lakeview Church is the friendliest church I've ever been to. 
And the reason I decided to stay at Lakeview Church, not just the reason I came the first time, but the reason I decided to stay here is because the people welcomed me and allowed me to feel at home. So does the parking lot attendance matter? Yes, they do. Does it matter about who stands at the door and greets? Yes, those people make an eternal difference. Everybody on the dream team can make a difference. And I wanna encourage you to serve intentionally. I got one more for you, and it's this. I think you should share your faith intentionally. And if you don't hear anything else I I say today, hear this. God has been abundantly generous to you if you are one of his children today. He poured out grace in your life and welcomed you into his family. He gave you the right to be called a child of God. He didn't give you that blessing so you could just hold on to it and enjoy it for yourself. He gave you that blessing so that you could share it with others, right? Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, it's not just about you. It's about the people you're gonna reach. You gotta share your faith intentionally. And, and when you go to do that, there are really three things that you have to share with people. You gotta share with them what the problem is, the core problem of humanity. And the core problem of humanity is this, we have all sinned. We have all sinned. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is true for me, it's true for you, it's true for even the, the, the best people you could think of, Mother Teresa, you could think of Billy Graham. They, we, we all sinned. No one is exempt from this. Only one person ever lived on this planet sinless and his name was Jesus and you're not him. That means we've all sinned. We all fall short. And here's the thing about sin. Because God is holy, our sin separates us from God. We cannot come back into a relationship with God until we deal with the problem of our sin. This is what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The reality is is that because of our sin, we are separated from God and there must be a payment for our sin. And that's what hell is. Hell is simply a payment for sin. It's not God being mean or God being condemning. It's just God saying there is sin in your life. Everyone is sin. And if you didn't accept the payment that I made for you in Jesus Christ, then you have to pay for your sin in the eternal place called hell. But the beautiful thing about God is that God doesn't say that's your only option. No, God provided a solution for the problem of humanity and the solution is Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, again, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the solution. And when we come to a moment of faith in Jesus Christ, God welcomes us back into his family. This is what John 1.12 says, to those who believed in him, to those who accepted him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And we know that this is how God provided for us through Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we believe in him, he welcomes us into his family and he saves us, he changes us. And there's only one way for that to happen. That's through Jesus Christ. That's what Acts 4.12 says. There is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus Christ is the solution to our problem. 
And then there's this response. And, and as you share your faith intentionally, you've got to tell people what the problem is. You've got to tell people who the solution is. And then you've got to invite them to respond. And the response is just simply inviting people into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And I always like to take people to Romans chapter 10 and just to tell them, how would you respond to Jesus Christ? How would you surrender your life to him? Romans chapter 10 says that you've got to confess with your mouth and you've got to believe in your heart. And if you do that, you're justified. You're made right with God. You're brought back into a relationship with him. And in that moment, everything changes. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, in that moment, you become a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. And I know that many of you in the room are already walking with Jesus and you already understand the problem and the solution and you've already responded to Jesus. I wanna just encourage you, if that's you, share those three realities with everyone that you can. You don't have 4,000 weeks left. I don't know how many weeks you have left, but you don't have 4,000 left. And so use whatever time you've got left to share those realities with as many people as you can because that's where an eternal difference happens. There are some of you in this room and you have never ever in your life responded to the solution that Jesus has made available for the problem of sin in your life. And right now what's happening in this room is what Revelation 3.20 says, where Jesus himself says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would open that door and let me come in, I will come in. I will eat with him. I will eat with her. We'll have a meal. We'll have relationship and intimacy together. And it will be the way it was intended to be. And some of you in this room right now, you are in that place where God is knocking on the door of your heart. And so just before Pastor Jessica comes to close out our service and pray for all of these wonderful boxes that are up here on the stage, I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. And so what I want you to do, if everyone could, just bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. I promise you, I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand or bring you down to the front or show you to anybody else. I just want you to have a moment where you can respond and I'm gonna be looking around the room in this moment because I wanna be able to pray for you, for those of you who respond. But here's the deal. If you, in this moment, recognize the problem of sin and you know you can't fix that problem for yourself, that you need the work of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, all you have to do today is just confess and believe. Accept him. And when you do, he'll welcome you into the family of God. He'll make you his child. And so if you're here today and you want to just respond and receive the salvation that Christ is making possible, all I want you to do is I just want you to slip your hand up right now in this moment and put it up as high as you can so that I can pray for you. Are you here this morning and you want to receive the gift of God's grace? Just put your hand up and keep it up. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. 
For those of you who raised your hands, I, I just want you to pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud, though you can if you want to, but I'm gonna just lead you in a prayer and I want you just to make this the prayer of your heart. God, I recognize that I am a sinner and that I need a savior. God, I recognize today that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave makes it possible for me to be saved, makes it possible for my sins to be forgiven, makes it possible for me to be made new again. God, I receive your gift of salvation. I believe in you and I accept you as my Lord and I am ready to be called a child of God. Thank you, God, for forgiving my sin. Thank you, God, for changing my life. Thank you for making me a part of your family. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, there are at least three people who made a commitment to Christ. And I think we ought to just celebrate that this morning and welcome them into the family of God. We are at the end of our time, but we have compiled a, a pile of boxes. And I want to invite Pastor Jessica to come up. We're going to pray for these boxes that are literally going to be going all over the world. And so I'll, I'll turn it over to Pastor Jessica and let her lead well. us.